ora, I'm Amelia and Ikea Nasio from the Silver Ferns and you are listening to the Half Court Press. Hi, my name is Nicolas Tixe. I'm the head coach of Uruguay and you are listening to Half Court Press podcast. Hi, my name is Maya Sura and you're listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Grassroot Sports is the seventh season of the Half Court Press podcast. In this series, Theo McLeod talks to a variety of sports professionals about how they think youth team players should be developed. This is Keely Dunn of FH Umpires, and you are listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Stay safe out there, friends. Welcome to the Half Court Press podcast. We're, we're back with our grassroots sports series our specials on developing developing young players and, and sport at the grassroots level. We're sat here with Puya Morizavi, yeah. who has a, a fascinating background and has, has a, and will probably go on to have a, a, an intriguing career in both academia and, and uh, vocational coaching. Puya? How you doing? Hello, welcome. Hey, so thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, mate. Um, I'm doing well, doing well, enjoying the sunshine right now, uh, and ready to to help contribute in any way I can here. Puya, can you give us um, can you give us a bit of a background to yourself? Uh, where 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 are you from? Where you've worked? Who you've worked with? Um, your level of education? Yeah. Sure. And what what, uh, so, what you're in as well. So yeah, I'm in I'm in football or, or soccer, as they would call it here in the US where I am currently. Um, my background, I was born and raised in Denmark uh, to Iranian parents. Uh, they were refugees who came to Denmark in the mid 80s. Um, I was born in 89, um, lived there till I was 16. Then I moved to London, uh, did my A-levels in London. I did a bachelor's in business management at Kingston University. And then I've moved on to do a master's in sports coaching at Loughborough. And then more recently, I just finished uh, my second master's in sports administration from Georgia State University. Um, I am a UAFB licensed coach and I have also the USSF C license and uh, USYF, which is UF, US Youth Futsal, um, level one as well. Um, I'm also recently gotten involved with futsal, so I should have mentioned that too. Um, I have been involved in soccer for nine years now as a coach and played it as a kid, didn't make the grade, wasn't good enough uh, when I was 18, 19 and then focused on academia instead. Realized that my passion is football. And then when I was 22, decided to pursue a career in coaching, which has then led me to some fantastic experiences in Mexico, the UK, and now currently the US. All these experiences that you've had and learned from, what would you say that grassroots sports is all about? Um, it's a great question. I think it's a multifaceted question. Um, I don't think there is one thing that is there for, I think you have to look at the individual 
Um, and I think that's where we have to educate a lot of coaches on understanding, especially at the grassroots levels. There is a sort of a plethora of, of reasons why kids participate in sports. For some, friendships. For some, it's becoming competitive. For some, it's to stay off the streets. It, it's, a, it's a multitude of reasons. Uh, I think we'll be doing it a, a disservice to, to, to pinpoint and say it's one given thing. Um, I think you have to look at the, at the individual and identify with them what is it and why is it that, that drives them there. Um, more often than not, there is a love for a sport or the sport that the participant in is, is in. Um, that is not always the case. I have seen multiple kids who, who don't necessarily enjoy the sport itself, but enjoy the social aspects of it. Um, if you want, in a true grassroots sense, I would say the social aspects uh, are, are more important than the, the competitive environment, right? Um, in the US where I am right now, that is a very, very fine line. Um, some who consider themselves grassroots are actually competitive and and the reverses can also be true so again i know sorry that was a long long answer to a question but i i think it's a it's, it's difficult um to to say it's one thing or, or, or the other you mentioned support there top level sports uh kids who are perhaps also going in for the social aspect as well what is the difference between social sport and uh competitive sport or social sport and elite sport uh, again great question um sometimes it's the only difference is the label that's been put on the environment that the kids participate in um, there are many many cases where something has been named elite when it's not um, to me, the way I break down elite is the moment you don't pay to participate in a sport is when you're elite, right? But until you pay, it's grassroots. So whether that's two quid for your weekly fees or in the US, it's thousands of dollars. The moment that you stop paying is the moment that you're in an elite environment. Uh, and I'm not talking about kids who will get financial support and and and, and whatnot. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference um, in terms of sort of what drives what 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 else. I mean, yes, of course, at the higher level, kids are more proficient uh, at at the given sport. There is a um, there is there can be there can be more structure to it but i think the the money piece is the is the biggest the moment that you don't pay for something is that's when you can call yourself elite and until you do whether or not you like it or not is you're part of a grassroots program and that's okay i don't think there's any shame in that that's that's a fascinating de definition which could possibly have its own dedicated episodes just to itself um that that definition could be expanded to include adult fee-paying members of a community club, of an amateur club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that there are elite level or, or, or first division players in minority sports up and down the UK, right across the world, who are 
paying paying to play for the club, including uh, women's footballers in, in the Scottish First Division at times, uh, or, or historically that's been the case. Uh, for uh, na National League, Premier League hockey players in in the UK, um, would, would you also include those people in grassroots? Um, I should probably have prefaced it and, and, and sort of stick with my sports. I think it's unfair for me to um, give an opinion on, on sports that I'm not involved with. Uh, however, I, I, I do think that th there can be some transference in that the moment that you stop paying for something and you're, it's either paid for or you get paid to do it, that, diff that means a whole set of different dynamics, uh, brings a different set of uh, pressures and, and whatnot. Because if you're getting paid or have someone pay something for you, more often than not, there is pressure on you to, to deliver results, right? Whereas in the grassroots, as much as everyone wants to win, uh, it would be, Unlikely someone getting kicked out of a club or sold to a rival club if they aren't, you know, producing uh, results. But again, um, it would it may be unfair for me to to pass judgment on on other sports. So um, I will certainly say, in my experiences, for the for the sport of soccer or football, that's that's what I've observed. Sideways question that. What is the difference between adult sport or senior sport and youth sport? Um, well, there are, that's a great question. There are many differences, but there's also a ton of similarities, right? You see five-a-side games, five-a-side, they're still leagues, they're still competitive, right? You know, adults take it very seriously, but at the same time, it's amateur, right? Um, in, in its true sense, uh, it's grassroots, meaning that participants are paying for it uh, and that they're not being sponsored um, or paid for. It may be very, very rarely someone on the team has a multi-million dollar company and they can s sponsor the jerseys for the team or whatever. But I think the difference between adults and, 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 and kids' sports is honestly, just the age, right? I mean, we're adults are adults, kids are kids. You look at it, at the adult level, you have elite level, right? Which, or professional level. And you have amateur level, same with kids. You have professional academies and you have, you know, grassroots clubs. So in, in that sense, besides the fact that when kids or when people turn 18, they are quote unquote adults and have more say in what they want to do, then I don't, I don't really think that there is much difference, right? Because Teams will still need a coach. Teams will still need players. So it's really just the age that's 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 different. Yes, I suppose it gets into what we what I've heard described in the past as training age. How experienced a player are you? Or how used to being coached are you? You mentioned earlier about um, sometimes kids and young players have a, a specific favourite sportsmen at the age. Some others uh, have a variety of games and activities that they enjoy. Um, do you think that, that young players and children should specialise in their sports? So this is a very contentious issue, right? There's a lot of 
pros and cons. People talk about the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, people are against it. Um, listen, I think it's, I certainly think kids should play as many sports as they possibly can, right? As a kid, I played basketball. I played a little bit of handball. I mainly played football because that's what I like to do. I think kids should be encouraged to play as many sports as possible. But I think if a kid wants to only play football or handball or hockey or cricket, whatever the sport is, baseball, doesn't matter, and they have a true passion for it and love for it, they should absolutely be encouraged to just play that. I think the moment we're doing a disservice to athletes, and when I say athletes, I mean kids, um, I think the moment we, we're making a disservice to them is when we dictate as adults what sports they should or shouldn't play, right? Unless there's a, the, unless there's a specific health reason for them not to, right? Someone might be worried about American football and the dangers that come with that, it's fair enough, or rugby, it's fair enough. But parents make the mistake, and it is a mistake, to force their kids to do one thing or the other. I fell out of love with football when I was 13 till I was about 14. I hated the thought of, of, of playing. Um, but that nine-month period after that, my love for the game was fully back, and I've been involved with it ever since. Right? I needed a, some time away from it. Some kids, um, sadly, are being discouraged by their parents not to take up multi-sports. And they should play as many sports as they possibly can if that's what they want to do. If it's not what they want to do, if you have a kid who's very good at a certain sport and they just want to do that, don't tell them you have to play another sport as well. No, no, because they don't want to. And so put the, give them the ownership. Give them the accountability of it. Okay, this is your thing. Go and own it, right? And I think that's where... As adults, we're too scared to let kids have free reign. Kids are smart enough. Kids are very smart to to know when they want to do something and when they don't. I, I, I like I like that word accountability. You know, I think kids are. I've I've come across kids and young people, more so young adults, 12, 13, 14 year, years old, who are so unused to making decisions for themselves. Yeah. And that's, and this is the, the gripe that we have when we coach, right? Whatever the sports it is, like what, what's the one of, one of the key things that we always say in, in sports, none of you are like, a lot of you are not creative. Where's the creativity, right? There's, there's a distinct lack of creativity amongst players. There's a distinct lack of leaders. Nowadays, with, with kids, and that's not the kids' fault. That's because as adults, we've we've taken we've taken those risk-taking opportunities away from them. And so, yeah, of course, they're not gonna want to make you know take make decisions. So as long as you can empower them and say, okay, this is your decision. You own your decision. I'll support you in what you do, but you own it. Like if you want to play football and basketball, not a problem. Go play it. If you just want to play basketball, no problem. Go play it. But you own it. So it's on you. And the more we can do that, the less we can discourage kids from doing that and continuously be on top of them is the moment we empower them. And guess what? When you empower people, they go on to do good things. 
and that will transfer into other aspects of their lives. Should, should young players or youth team players, should they specialise in a particular position? If you play right back, you'd always be a right back. Well, the, and this, again, this is again another one that's one of those that's contentious, right? Is that there's so many schools, there's a couple of schools of thoughts, the people, and and I've you know I have flip flop between you know those schools of thoughts. But then again, and 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 the most, especially in football, I can't speak for other sports, but in football in particular, the one position that's the most contentious is what the goalkeeper, right? So you have a kid who just wants to play goalkeeper. All they think about is being a goalkeeper. Why are we telling that kid to go play in the field? I don't understand that. I, I, I genuinely do not understand that. Like, that's not for us to do. If that kid wants to be a goalie, let them be a goalie. Now, if the kid wants to do both, we absolutely should support them. We should not stifle them and say, no, you know what? You're, you're the best goalkeeper in the team. We really need you as the goalkeeper, so please, can you be in goal? Again, it goes back to the accountability piece, the ownership piece. Let them own it. Let the kid own it. Yes, would it benefit the kid to, to, to know a couple of positions? Yeah, absolutely, right? It would be good for them to understand the different dynamics of what it's like to play as a center man and what it's like to play as a striker. Sure. But if someone's good at something and they want to do it, why do we have to make it so difficult? Like I, I don't, I don't understand the rationale behind that. There is none. So, uh, in my opinion. So currently, I'm reading "My Turn" by the late great Brian uh, Cruyff. Sure. In here, he talks about his his time as coach of Barcelona, uh, which is we started this 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 great culture at 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 the club. Sure. Um, Keepers playing out from the back. The keepers apparently in the, in the in the late eighties, early nineties, the keepers being part of the eleven, and as a player, was 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 breaking new ground. Apparently, he used to get in training matches his goalkeeper to play to train out on the left wing, which he was to get loads of balls into his feet, and that would practice. That would encourage him to be part of the game and allow the defence to push up and and. Uh, dictate play from that, that side, of the, side of the pitch. So, and that's a great point. And this is where we have to be very, very, very conscious of the environments that we're dealing with. For that elite level that you've just described, because that's an elite level, right? No one's paying to play from La Masia. Everything's paid for and you, you're looked after when you play for La Masia, right? So you're a professional, right? And so in order to develop professional players, you have to put them in various circumstances and situations that will enable that development. So in that situation, Johan Cruyff was an absolute innovator and a genius, right? And what he did with Victor Valdez and that, that enabled the culture of those guys like Victor Valdez, et cetera, to flourish was spot on. But if you're talking about a grassroots level, it's you're not comparing apples to apples, and so that's where we've got to be really, diff, you know, very conscious of um, com what we're comparing with what, because in a grassroots level, which is what I was sort of referencing there, let the kid play because it's it is ninety nine point what four or five percent chance that they won't be pro. 
So if there's the 99.5% chance that they won't play pro, let them enjoy every single moment of them being a goalkeeper, right? But if you need to play at the elite level, if you need to be at the Barcelona level, yeah, you need to be put out as a left wing because you need to know how to adapt to that environment. So again, it all comes back to the environment that you're in. It all comes back to what is it the end game is. The end game for Victor Valdez or whoever the, the keepers were at Barca, right, was to learn to play out from the back under pressure against Real Madrid in the biggest game in world football, right? That is different. That is a different outcome than when you're looking at little Johnny or little Carla who are trying to learn how to be a, a football player who just want to be in goal and have fun, right? And become a good goalkeeper. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Different criteria. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's very specific to the environment that you're in. And as frustrating as that can be sometimes because you don't have one model answer for everything, you, you have to look at the environment. You have to, what's the end game? What is the end game for grassroots? What is the end game for elite? And that's, and that's how you plan on it, right? That's how you base your planning. When, when should, I don't phrase this, as part of, the, of uh, a child or a young player's development, when should results become more important than performance? I don't think results should ever uh, be more important than performance, even if you look at the, the elite level in the sense that you demand, you should absolutely demand the maximum effort, right? If, even if you look at the all or nothing uh, documentary that came out with Spurs, you know, Mourinho talks about effort levels, talks about performance. I think, again, you have four-year-olds who want to win who are driven by winning. There is nothing wrong with wanting to win if you're four years old, 15 years old, or 25 years old. It's understanding how to manage that. Now, it becomes an issue when you compromise development in the sense that no one knows the fundamentals of football, but because someone's really, really tall and really, really fast, we're just lumping the ball forwards to them and they can score a couple of goals. Yeah, great. Okay, that's awesome. You won a game. But you, you, you're winning, everyone wants to win. And people who say who don't want to win, they lie. Everyone wants to win. Like it's, it's a fallacy that, that people like to lose. It is an absolute fallacy. Whether the, whether the participant, male or female, is five years old, 15 years old, or 35 years old. There's no one doing anything in life that are going to be okay with being the person having the negative outcome of whatever they're in. So that's just a fallacy. So winning is just, just is important. Um, but the, that whole thing with performance versus results, I mean, yeah, okay. So Tony Pulis, right? Does, does, is, are his, were his performances for Stoke, were they great from a purist point of view to watch? No, they weren't, but he got the results, right? So what do you value, right? What do you value? They're now in the championship, whereas when they had him, they were in the Premier League. So what was more important? Probably the way that he played. Mm. However, you apply that to a 10-year-old who's starting to learn how to play soccer, 
and you rob them of the understanding of the game because you as a coach are driven by your innate not the desire to win because everyone wants to win but because of a pride thing that you just want to trample over opponents so again it's 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 one of those that uh it's important to understand that everyone wants to win and winning is always important so a few years ago i remember hearing about something that the english fa were trying out were experimenting with in that they stopped uh producing league tables for their very very young kids so seven-year-olds eight-year-olds this sort of thing um, we'd, we'd have a group of teams who would play each other over a course of uh, a, p- a period of time over yep. the, of the season. Yeah, I remember what that. We, what we found was uh, the only people who cared about the league positions were the parents and the coaches. No yep. three-year-old is looking at, at a website going, we're, nope. we're, we're second goal difference, we need to score five, by, by five minutes. So, I suppose, but, sorry, go on. So, I suppose, what I'm asking is, do you have in your head a scale of of that to an older age group where, where it's like it's like introducing league tables so the, so this is the thing and again as adults we, we tend to to ruin a lot of experiences for the young um because of our prides and various you know things that just go through our minds Yes, absolutely. No seven, not not no. Vast majority of seven, eight year olds couldn't care less about the league results. But I can bet you one hundred percent that every single one of those kids went out to play those games wanting to win. And it's the moment that we take that away from them that we that we make a mistake. Now, could they kept the league tables up? Sure. Could they have taken them down? Sure. Does it really matter? No. But, but you cannot foster a culture where winning is seen as almost as a negative. And by making a move like that, it is almost as if that that's being portrayed, right? And is it is does it again? Does it matter? No. Do, 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 would it be nice for someone to refer back to, oh, this team has lost every game by 15 goals. That probably means they're a little bit weak. So we should, you know, we should adjust for that weekend. Oh, I can see this game. This team has, has tied all their games or have exactly the same record as us. That's going to be an interesting game, right? That, that, that's different than parents being obsessive. Oh, you know, my under eights are, are top of the league. Oh, it doesn't really matter, does it? But I can guarantee you, all those kids went out to win those games. And we cannot, we cannot, cannot foster a culture when that, where that is not seen as a positive. Yes, the 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 learning how to lose and, and how to and how to then go, how can we Absolutely. be better? Absolutely, of course. There's so many. There's, I mean, I I, I always say to players that I coach. You know, I asked them, I said, what's the opposite of success? And they say failure. And I said, well, no, failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is just opportunities to get better. And they look at me for a minute or so. And I said, 
don't think that the opposite of success is failure because you can learn from failure. You can become better from failure. Failure, some, it's learn, failure is learning opportunities. And losing, as much as it's tough, it's a, it can be a really good thing, right? Kids can learn from it. Kids, kids can absolutely learn from, from losing. I've, I've told a few kids or, or young adults uh, on a number of occasions, I need you to make mistakes, mistakes because I'm your coach and I, I need to do my job. It's mistakes are there to learn from. Yeah. I mean, I always tell my players, I tell them, uh, whenever you make a mistake, there's three things I want you to think about. What was the mistake? Why did it happen? And what are you going to do next time? That's the process. So when they make the mistake, I want them to think about it. Okay, so what happened? All right, I shot the ball over the bar. All right, why did that happen? My body positioning might not have been right. Okay, what do I need to do next time? Next time I need to adjust my body positioning to be like what we've worked on in practice, right? I think if you break it down to them like that, like an actual process, rather than saying unlucky or good try, which is really meant, well, there's empty words, right? It's just empty words. But what does that, what does that give that child? Oh, well, I, I actually did what I needed to do. Luck was just against me. Well, well, no. You executed an incorrect technique. So you need to understand what technique you need to apply for that given situation. Another one I dislike is well played at the end of the match. I played in so many amateur matches. You go, well played. I'm, I'm, ahead of, I'm going, I did awfully. Yeah. I've been awful. And, and, and if you were watching, don't say well played to me. Just say good effort or something or um, I was reading I was reading um, uh, I can't remember what book it was it might have been balanced by Matthew Said I can't remember but along that but he was the, one of the people being interviewed was saying was saying top level uh, t- tennis coach was saying I don't praise results what I do is I praise effort so, so you're encouraging the kids or the, or the youngster to always work harder to get better, not to, not to just be good. Yes, I mean, I think that's absolutely the right way of doing it, right? You should always praise effort if it's worth praising. Yeah. If someone's worked hard, hey, you've worked hard. That's awesome. All right, this is what we need to build off of that. If someone hasn't worked on, you should not praise that, right? Um, what was it? Uh, it was a great quote from Sean Dyche. Uh, he goes, the minimum, um, what was it? The minimum standard is maximum effort. Something along those lines. Uh, it's, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, the minimum effort is, is, is maximum. Um, also, the minimum standard is maximum effort. Um, and I think that's brilliant. You, you, you foster that culture of working hard. And sometimes when you work hard, you don't get the results you think your hard work um, you know, deserves, but that's life. And you've got to deal with that. And I think as, as coaches, we have to make kids understand that you have to work hard. So I'd much rather praise effort than a, a 7-0 victory. Okay. So as long as we are promoting these, these, these attributes, these, uh, what I've heard described before, before as soft skills, 
um, teamwork, communication, or if it goes with, with the development of a performance, uh, as long as we're develop, developing these, do we re need a results-based competition? Absolutely. At junior level. When would you introduce a result, um, like a, a league table? When, when would you introduce a league table or a cup competition into youth sports? It's tough. That's it's a tough question. Uh, I would have it, I guess, I guess from like 9, 10, 11 years old. Nah, maybe 10, 11. They don't really, they need to be competitive when they're six, seven, eight, but it doesn't really matter. The results, nine, doesn't really matter. When they get into double figures, I think that's probably a good gauge as to when you should have um, league tables, if you'd like. I mean, this, again, they go, the kids are always competitive. The kids always want to win. So we need to make sure that that environment is, is always there. But in terms of league tables and whatnot, yeah, maybe when they're from there 10 years old. So one of the so one of the other interviewees for this series, uh, Mike Lineker, our mutual friend. Um, yeah. When I when I asked him this question, he said there should always be competition, but the results from that, uh, even up even around 12, 13 years old, he was suggesting that the, that the players didn't always necessarily have the emotional uh, maturity to do. If you lose, you lose by a billion points. If you win, you've won by a million points. He was saying around about between 14 and 16, they start to have the maturity to deal with winning and losing without affecting the mindset. As much as I love Mike, and he's a great guy, I'm probably going to have a little bit of a different opinion than him. Uh, I'm not saying it's the right opinion. I just, I think kids uh, can cope with it. And if they can't, we need to help them to be able to to cope with uh, results. I don't think by by hiding them that that that's necessarily the the right way of doing it. I think educating them on on how to deal with them is probably uh, a, a better way to to to, to do it. Okay. But that's my opinion. So let's 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 talk about your your education. You've got a couple of different master's degrees. Yep. Can we can we learn a bit more about that and the background? Uh, where did you study? <laughs> where did you study? Um, I started my master's uh, sports coaching masters in 2012. I finished that in 2013. Again, that looked at coaching from a very holistic point of view. I looked at uh, sports coaching and development, mentoring, biomechanics, physiology, psychology, sociology. Um, was a fantastic course. Anyone who's serious about coaching, um, in the sense that it is something that they want to be, you know, have as their profession, uh, I strongly encourage them to 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 do a course in in with you know a science scientific course in in coaching. That is not to say experience isn't equally as important because it is. Um, but I absolutely encourage anyone to to uh, to, to study the science behind uh, coaching. Um, my second master's was in sports administration. I just completed that here, and again, that was more, you know, that was less to do with coaching, but more in terms of an administrative role, 
whether that be as a manager of a sports organization, uh, marketing for sports, um, sort of the more operational side of things for sports, uh, international sports and, and, and things like that. How has this education, um, ha well, has this education changed the way you, you view um, the constructs, the environment, the culture of coaching and sporting environment? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In particular, my, the master, my first master's. Um, you know, I, I did that when I was very, very new to coaching and it really helped me shape how I coach. Um, and it's, yeah, absolutely. It's really, really helped me uh, in my development without shadow of a doubt. What, what do you know now that didn't know before? What is your philosophy and how has it changed? The philosophy is always changing. It, that is not a set thing. It will always change. How I am as a coach now will change in 10 years, will change in five years, will change in 20 years. That's the thing about philosophy. It's not, it's not something that's set. Because coaching is something that experience will shape you. Right. How I started out as a coach is very different to how I'm as a coach now. Um, that's not a bad thing. That's the natural progression of coaching. Uh, and I always refer back to what I learned in terms of the science behind it, but how I view it. You know, I'm a much more proficient coach now than I was when I started. There are certain things that I've completely changed and certain things that I've, that I've kept. Um, but as I said, I was very lucky, very fortunate that I did my uh, master's in coaching as I'd started out, uh, you know, getting involved with coaching. What, what do you wish you knew when you started out that you know now? Oof, great question. <laughs> wow, that's a great question. What do I wish I knew now? <laughs> I, knew, I wish I knew how political sports can be at the grassroots level um you know sometimes you, you walk into something very green um one thing i wish i knew was how little i knew i think that's probably the best way to put it right when you're young when you're 22 you think you know a lot of things and you you may know some but self-reflection is, is huge and I wish I knew how little I knew then. That's probably how I would say it. So you have a, a, a Persian background? Yes, both my parents are from Iran. Yeah, you have a, you have a Persian Iranian background. So you, you, you've lived in, in North, you've lived and worked in um, Northern, Northern Europe, uh, uh, Western, Europe, um, Central and Northern, Northern America. Yep. Uh, what, what effect does, does culture have on a sporting environment? Oh, it has a big, it has a big, big uh, impact uh, in the US, especially in the South where I've been for the majority of my time. You know, players pray, a lot of teams pray before a game. Um, which would be unheard of in the UK or in Denmark. Um, there was certainly that element to it, you know, scheduling games on a Sunday. 
you try to do it later on in the in the day so people can go to church again that's not really a thing in the uk um so religion has a huge part or culture has a huge part um you 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 pick up on you know certain things for example in mexico um it's it can be very very intense when you when you you're coaching uh, uh but also when then when you're not coaching it could be very very difficult to organize things and make things happen in a timely manner right whereas in the us everything runs on a schedule if you start at nine you start at nine and you finish at 10 right or whatever the timing is so there are absolutely some 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 cultural things that that has an impact on it um the way power structures are built and formed the way parents deal with a coach in the uk versus the us is significantly different um and again that builds into to some of the cultural things what as you do uh, across borders and as you moved across borders and um, into, into different regions uh, and what in different cultures with different people, what what positives and what lessons have you what positives have you taken? What lessons have you learned about how to construct a, a sporting environment uh, in each new place? Regardless of where I've been, the, the biggest thing that I've the trait that I've used the most, that I found to be the most valuable, is there are three things. Authenticity, empathy, and communication. Those three things, if you're true in, 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 in those, uh, and if you, if you communicate consistently and openly, if you are genuine and authentic in how you are as a human being and show that, and if you can show that you have empathy for others, regardless of where you are, people will take to you. I think that has been the most important thing. Whether or not you're the most tactically adept or not coach or technically gifted coach or not, if you can show those three things, people will tend to be drawn to you. Um, I am who I am as a person. I have certain character traits and I own them, right? I'm not, I don't try to be someone or something that I'm not because that's when I will be unsuccessful. But when I'm true to those things, um, whether effective or ineffective, there's certain things that I do that probably aren't the best traits uh, or the most effective traits, but they're part of who I am. Um, and there's other things that I do that seem to serve me very well, but they're true to who I am, right? So I think that's that's the biggest piece. And I think people, regardless of where in the world you are, they will respond to that. As we begin to wind up, why did you play sports? Why did you play football when you were a kid? I mean, I come from a footballing family. Uh, my father was a referee. My brother was a better player than myself. Um, football's always been part of my life. Uh, ever since I can remember, football's been part of it. Uh, first footballing memory was the 94 World Cup. And uh, I love sports. I love, I love sports. I am very, very competitive. I love 
uh, sports even more now. Um, I sit and watch, fascinated with basketball, with, with American football. Uh, so I can sit and observe other coaches, what they do. Uh, and just, I appreciate, uh, you know, someone who's good at their craft, uh, whatever the sport may be. Uh, I will try to sit there and appreciate the greatness of uh, and the abilities of, of people because I think it's fascinating. Um, that's my life. That's my journey. I just, I absolutely love sports. I can't pinpoint an exact reason why because I don't know. I don't know what that is. I just know that I absolutely love it and it's a huge, huge part of my life. When you were younger, what sort of youth coaches did you enjoy playing for? Which did you not enjoy playing for? I think the three things that I've mentioned there, people who are authentic, people who made you feel valued, people who empowered you, are people that I remember, right? I can, rem I can tell you the coaches that I enjoyed playing for, right? I can tell you their names. I can tell you what they did. Um, I think that's what's important. You know, I think, absolutely. Do they need to learn? Do they need to know what soccer is or football is? Yeah, of course, right? Do they have to be Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho to coach 10, 9, 8-year-olds? No, they don't. No, they don't. Um, but they need to be people who have a skill set, but also the things that they can teach you as human beings uh, and the way that they can make you feel is far outweighs the, um, the other side of things, in my opinion, in grassroots. What was your favorite memory in playing sports as a kid? Oh. Winning games and having fun with my friends. That was honestly it. Just that camaraderie that you did, the bonds, the memories that you made with your friends. I still talk to them about it. We have, there's one specific thing that my friend and I still talk about, which is hilarious. So, so we had a coach who, was <laughs> he was dead set on making us do a certain corner routine. And the only time it paid off was when I had no idea what I was doing. And I just found myself lucky getting the ball and scoring, right? We still laugh at that. That was fun. That was what, you know, I loved, but also just competing and trying to win and winning things and winning games and, just playing and working at the, the highest possible level that you can. That's, that's, those are the things that matter the most to me. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. This has been a Half Court Press production by Teo McLeod.